In Mark chapter 12, a teacher of the law approaches Jesus, and he asks him a question. He said, of all the commandments, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, that seems like an innocent question, but it reflects a debate that was going on about which commandments were most important, or if you could even rank the commandments in order of importance. Now, when we're talking about commandments, this guy here wasn't talking about the Ten Commandments. He was talking about all of the commandments that they had figured out came or they could find in God's law. You know how many there were? 613 separate commandments. There were 365 negative ones and 248 positive ones. I'm always intrigued by the 365 negative ones because you know those little desk calendars you can get and, and you tear off a page a day and each day it has like a little Bible verse on there, something positive to cheer you up. I wonder if the scribes had one of those calendars but it had a negative command for every day, every day of the year. I, anyway, I digress. But that was just something that, that I thought of. But anyway, they further characterized them into heavy and light. In other words, important and less important. And so in asking this question, the, the teacher wants to draw Jesus into this debate, and hopefully Jesus will indict himself by giving an answer that's not appropriate. Now, Jesus, when he was asked trick questions or confrontational questions, was not always known to give a straightforward answer. But here, he, he gives a straightforward answer without hesitation. He says in Mark 12, 39, or 29, he says, The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy, and he says that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's a part of this little passage that sometimes we just skim over. But it's actually very important, and it's not to be missed. This sets the rationale for verse 30. In other words, since God is one, our love for him must be undivided. So... We should pour our entire selves, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength into loving God. Well, what does loving God look like? Well, it's more than just words. In fact, when it comes to, to loving God, God is not so much concerned with us telling him that we love him as he is us practicing our love for him. How do we practice our love for him? Well, one way is we put him first in our lives. We put him first above everything and above every person. Uh, we surrender our entire being to him. We obey his commands. In our case, as a church, living, living like Jesus, become more like, becoming more like him every day. But there's one part of loving God of putting that love into practice that we often miss. And that is desiring Him. Desiring Him. To desire means to have a longing or a craving. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? To love God is to desire Him, to desire His presence, to desire His righteousness, to desire His grace, to desire His word, to desire spending time with Him in prayer. And when we lose the desire for God, what happens is our relationship with Him deteriorates. Just like with someone that, that you love. If you don't desire to be with them, to desire the things about them, then your love for them fades. We can't let our love for God fade. But Jesus, after he quotes from Deuteronomy, he says in verse 31 of Mark 12, he says, The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In Matthew's telling of this story, Jesus, uh, he quotes Jesus as saying, the second one is like the first. In other words, it, it's not simply Jesus saying, here's number one and here's number two. In fact, I don't think it's even him saying that this one's a close second to the other. What Jesus is doing is he's bringing together and he's virtually merging the commands to love God and to love our fellow human beings. In other words, it's an interrelationship between loving God and loving our fellow human beings. Is it really possible to love God in the way that we're supposed to love him and not love others? Is it really possible to love others without us truly loving God first? Well, the answer is a resounding no, because love for God is expressed in loving others. And love for others is evidence of our love for God. Now, a key issue in this passage is the term neighbor. Neighbor. The teacher of the law, like most Jews, would have a very narrow view of neighbor. Neighbor in the Leviticus passage meant fellow Jews. Later in Leviticus 19, it would be extended to resident aliens. However, it went no further than that. But Jesus' definition of neighbor extends even further beyond what they could even imagine. When Jesus uses the term neighbor, not only does he mean fellow Jews, but he also extends it to Gentiles and to the hated Samaritans. The story of the Good Samaritan is in Luke 10. And at the beginning of that story, another teacher of the law asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Well, the question he asks, and the way it's phrased, what he's really asking is this. He's asking, what must a person do to qualify that I should love him as a neighbor? He puts the burden totally in the wrong place. The burden is not on another person to come to us and earn our love. The other, it's not on the other person to come to us and, and try to make themselves acceptable so that we can give them our love. The burden is on us. The burden is on us to love one another. It's not on the other person. So there is really no doubt that Jesus says, when he says neighbor, 
He can refer to those, we can refer to those as neighbors who maybe don't always agree with us. We can refer to those as neighbors who maybe don't agree with our political views. We can refer to those as neighbors who maybe don't have the same social status as we do. Jesus includes everyone. So there's no doubt when Jesus says neighbor, he's not just talking about the person that lives next door to you. He's not just talking about the person that that you hang out with all the time. Jesus is talking about everyone. And so maybe, maybe we should worry less about the definition of neighbor and more just about loving others. But we're going to hear more about that here in just a little bit. Let's continue with Mark chapter 12, verse 32. The man says, well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is an educated and intelligent man. And he does something here I find interesting. He adds commentary to Jesus' words. Even though he lived in a religious system that had this elaborate sacrificial system. He knows from his knowledge that it matters little to say you love God if you don't back it up with an obedient heart. And that the sacrifices you offer mean less to God than an obedient heart. Maybe the man was thinking about this passage from Proverbs 21 that says, To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So since there's not much difference between loving God and trusting Him, Jesus challenges the man to go all in. In verse 34, he says, When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Jesus says to him, you're you're almost there. You've got the intellectual part down. You understand it with your mind. Now I want you to practice it. Now I want you to go all in. Now, although we don't know what actually happened to the man, we hope that he did practice what he'd learned from this lesson with Jesus. But it's really what Jesus is saying to us also. The idea that that he doesn't want us to just say we love. He He wants us to go all in. He wants us to practice it. John puts it this way. 1 John 3, 18. He says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You know, maybe we know the right scriptures. And maybe we know the right words to say. But love expresses itself in deeds, and he adds truth here because even our actions, our deeds, sometimes can be hypocritical. We've already talked about loving God, that loving God means putting him first and surrendering ourselves and obeying him and and desiring him. But remember, love for God and love for people is not an either-or proposition. It's both and. That's a challenge. 
It is. It's a challenge for us to be consistent in our love for God. It's a challenge sometimes for us to be consistent and always surrendering to him and always being obedient. It's a challenge for us to, in the desire area that we, we don't always do that. But let's be honest. <laughs> it's often hard to love other people. It is. I know it is. You know it is. Now, Scripture is full of examples of what it means or what it looks like, rather, when you love someone else. Uh, Leviticus 18 and Romans chapter 12 come to mind that have great pictures of, of what actions those are. Uh, it involves not lying, not stealing, not seeking revenge, not holding a grudge, blessing people who, who curse you, living at peace with others, sharing with others, being sincere. But you have to remember... While that might be what it looks like, it's not a checklist. It's not like we have this list that we carry around with us, and at the end of the day, we look at it and we say, oh, okay, I didn't cheat anybody, I didn't lie to anybody, I didn't curse anybody, and on down the list you go, and then you get to the bottom and you say, hey, everything checked off, I must love other people. That's not what it's about. It's not about a checklist. It's not about the works that we do in order to gain favor, in other words. What we need is the right focus when it comes to loving others. We need the right focus. And actually, the, the focus comes in two areas. One is in our motivation, and the other is in our ability. And both are expressed in our core value today. Our core value today is on the front of your bulletin. It's loved people love others. Loved people love others. So what about our motivation? <laughs> well, the first part of that says it. We are loved people. We are indeed loved people. John says it this way in John, 1 John 4, verses 10 and 11. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We did not love God. God loved us. God reached out to us. God initiated the first move. In fact, Daniel Aiken writes, The origin of love lies beyond human effort and initiative. Left to ourselves, we would not love him. We would hate him and oppose him. It took his boundless, sacrificial love to break our hearts of stone and bring us to himself. So our love, whether it is for believers or whether it is for others or whether it is for God, all of these things are based on God's love for us. John uses the term here, ought. He says we ought also. Not only does that speak to an inner motivation, but it also speaks to, speaks to an obligation. It speaks to a debt that we have. Since God has so loved us, we ought also to do that. And there's also an urgency about it. 
There's an implied urgency that it's something we need to do now, that it's something we can't put off. Since God has so loved us, we ought to go out right now, today, this moment, and start loving other people. We can't put it off any longer. Because of what God has done for us, it's what we rightly owe. It's God's rightful expectation for us. Loved people love others. All right. We're loved people. We get that. What God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We are loved people. We, we, we understand that. And that's great motivation for loving others. <laughs> but it's still difficult. It's still difficult, even with that motivation, to love other people. So what about our ability? Well, the fortunate thing is we don't have to do it under our own power. We don't have to manufacture love inside of ourselves to love others. Because if we had to do that, if we had to manufacture it ourselves, what would happen is that we'd fail miserably. There would be no way that we could manufacture the type, the type of love that we need inside of us. There's no way that we could do it. So what we would do is we would become frustrated and we'd quit, which we kind of do sometimes anyway. We say, I just can't bring myself, you've said this, I can't bring myself to love that person. You're right, you can't. So how in the world does it happen? 1 John 4, 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Your profession of faith in Christ reveals an inward commitment. Jesus is the Son of God. I believe in Him. I personally trust Him as my Savior. It's a commitment of obedient trust to God. And John affirms that when that happens... God lives in you, and you in God. Lives is in the present tense. It's happening right now. It's ongoing. It's intimate. It's growing. And what's more, now you have inside of you this invisible power for the fulfillment of your obligation to love other people. Verse 16 says this, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. It says we know how much God loves us and we rely. We've, we've put our full trust in God's love. But the Bible tells us, and it tells us here, that God is love. That God is love. It's his very nature. He's the author of it. He's the source of it. God's love is far above human love. But because we live in a God whose very nature is love, and God whose very nature is love, lives in us. God's love not only fills us, 
but it also overflows from us. You know, perhaps if we're having difficulty loving other people, where we should really go is not inside ourselves to ask, why can't I do this? But rather what we should be looking at is our relationship to God. We need to be working on our relationship to God. It's God living in us and us in Him that gives us the strength to love other people. And as long as we try to do it on our own, we will fail miserably. So if you're having trouble loving others, you really need to work and look at your relationship with God. Have you given yourself to Him? Is he living in you and you in him? Those are questions we need to ask ourselves. Because as we said a couple of weeks ago, what's inside is going to come out. The good or the bad. Is God really living in you? And you and God? You know, we often say, man, wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody just loved everybody else. We say that all the time, don't we? Oh, if, if everybody just loved everybody else, wouldn't the world be better? Two things. What in the world does that mean? And secondly, what a cop-out. If everybody else loved others... What a great world this would be. What we need to be looking at, and the question we need to be asking is, how would this little corner of creation that I live in be better and different if I loved as I'm supposed to love? What if I love the people in my own little circle like I'm supposed to love? What if I love people at work like I'm supposed to love? What if I love people at school like I'm supposed to love? How different would that be? If we all did that, that would change the world. Not these little lofty, oh, if everybody just did this. And we say that and we have no intention whatsoever of doing it our own, our, ourselves. We need to look at our relationship with God. And then we need to let that relationship with Him affect those around us. And not so much worry about what everybody else is doing or not doing. Loved people love others. 1 John 4:19 says we love because he first loved us. There is no greater motivation. There is no greater motivation to love others than the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. And isn't it reassuring? That it is indeed possible, not of our own power, but because God lives in us and we live in him. Let's pray.